Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. This is the good stuff. Yeah. We're your hosts. I'm Richard Lusk. Over there is Ryan Bull. This is the Laugh Podcast, episode number 192. For today's episode, we've decided to take a look at the small screen and examine Netflix's latest television show, Black Mirror. Join me on a journey where getting lost is the only true destination. But no matter how far we stray, we always come back. Here. The magnifying glass through which we observe the human condition, where happiness is an illusion. Here, where the past, present, and future all coexist on the same timeline. A reminder that the future is not some distant glimmer, but a bright light shining in your eyes. This is the future we are in right now, where our phones are the first things that we touch when we wake up, the last thing we touch before falling asleep. Radiant, seductive screens we so lovingly endlessly gaze upon. Much like you're doing right now. Welcome to a future where our true reflection is only revealed once the screen goes dark. Welcome to the darkness. I hope you find it enlightening. This is the third season of the show originally broadcast on BBC Channel 4 and created by British journalist and satirist Charlie Brooker. This guy sort of hit the collective consciousness with uh, veiled death threats against George Bush. Yeah. Uh, Brooker, he's what? He's been very prophetic. Yeah. Wait, like he made a prophecy about killing George Bush? Well, just, I mean, a lot of of this stuff seems to be ringing true. Burka described it as the show being about the way we live now and the way we might be living ten minute in ten minutes' time if we're clumsy. Right, fair enough. The TV show is set in a variety of near future potential universes, with some of the episodes actually reflecting some of the societal issues brought about, I guess, by the pervas- pervasiveness and potential insidious nature of technology, the grip of technology. I think the black mirror is a reference to or metaphor for the. Uh, you know, handheld devices or TV screens that you look at, computer screens and whatnot. They reflect back at you, yeah. Uh, so. Twilight Zone meets Michael Crichton. There's a lot of Crichton in one of the episodes, anyway, in this this season. Yeah, but Crichton always seemed to be uh, obsessed with where technology could lead us yeah, and future the technology. untold dangers. But for the most part, this is a very popular television series, especially among tech nerds. Yeah, it's... It gets more popular with every subsequent season. Like you said, this is the third season. The first two came out on the BBC and slowly kind of leaked over here to the United States. It took a little bit of time. I think uh, I saw an interview with Brooker where he said it was after the Christmas special that it really took fire in America. And then that's when Netflix outbid BBC and they lost the uh, property rights for the television show. And now I think this might be Netflix's... Maybe with Daredevil, this might be their most successful show. show? Yeah. Uh, it, I don't know. It, it's kind of hard. They don't, they don't put out numbers 
for how many people mm-hmm. are watching their stuff. So I know some network television execs have always said that Netflix is inflating their numbers, but this is quality programming. Does Netflix need to worry about inflating their numbers if they still have the bottom line? I mean, I guess they have investors they have to impress, but in the end, it's all going to be about the money that they can make from their subscribers for the most part. The problem is going to be when Netflix starts selling advertising, and it's not just advertising of their own television shows, which it seems to be now. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see where they are, because five years ago... I think you were the one that told me the quote uh, that Netflix is trying to become HBO before HBO can become Netflix and Netflix has gotten there. I mean, they don't even carry movies as much now as it's just content. I mean, they are coming out with movies, but it is well-rounded content in every regard. And it's kind of amazing. Well, especially with respect to this television program, Black Mirror, because it is a sort of a cultural phenom. A lot of people are talking about it. There's a lot of positivity surrounding these shows. I even mentioned it today in my AP class. We're talking about Brave New World and the Mm. impact of technology. Um, But I'm wondering if it might be almost blasé now. Like the criticism and the satirization is going to be universal and, you know, lasting for all time. But we have some, I mean... I'm thinking of like 3D movies are now, and even Twitter are now ironic vestiges of the past. (laughs) (laughs) They've just like technology started in the last 10 years. Don't really seem to make much of a cultural impact now. So I'm wondering, you know, if if it's just much ado about nothing. Uh, Some of the critics, some of the black mirror stuff. Maybe. I mean, it's always hard to predict what the future is going to be like. And, I enjoy, there are lots of small moments in all of these shows, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more in detail, but the way they imagine transportation, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, they have a lot of concept cars in the show, uh, other just little bits of technology that are sprinkled throughout. I like that because, you know, we're both film geeks and we like those 80 science fiction movies where all the spaceships have 400 buttons on the control panel right. to move you around. And now you look at that and it looks so dated, but in the moment it seems so futuristic and so cool. You couldn't wait to live in a world like that. And mm-hmm. we never got there and we never no, will probably I'm still waiting for the flying cars. Yeah. So but these, these, uh, episodes, at least in, in this, uh, I guess there are 12 episodes planned for Netflix. This is the first six. The thing that I like most about it is it's thought-provoking. I have a question for you whether or not it's actually entertaining. And I guess we can get into that towards when we get into more uh, detailed analysis of the episodes. I think for this uh, podcast, the best thing to do would be to have a general conversation about the show itself, which we kind of have already, Mm -hmm. uh, and then just get into a spoiler-specific uh episode by episode breakdown because um i mean the mo- the 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 episodes really are just twists they they're like little mini m night Shyamalan movies and they operate a lot on the iron- the irony of the uh ending so mm-hmm. to not talk about those wouldn't be doing really uh, the episodes uh, justice i think Oh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of twists. I mean, in that way, it reminds me of Twilight Zone or Outer Limits, Tales from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of other kind of 
standalone episode television well, fair. The, yeah, that anthology television doesn't seem to. I mean, I don't know if we have enough episode, uh, enough examples of it in American culture, but maybe there's more of this type of stuff over in Britain. Maybe I mean, but there are a couple, and those you know are all fairly famous. So I enjoy that, and then I also feel like this show is filling a need or a, a gap that I felt when Michael Crichton died four or five years ago, because I was always a big fan of his stories and just mm-hmm. his take on science and where it's going. It, it, it never felt so much as science fiction as um, science future viewing. I don't know. I mean, it was just that it was that progressive feel like, where could we be in the next decade or so? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've talked extensively about Jurassic Park. I mean, and there are lots of other stories of his that I always enjoyed. So when he passed, I'm like, huh. Where can I turn to now? And I do feel like Black Mirror, in a lot of ways, has uh, taken up that mantle. Yeah, it, it's willing to ask those kind of kinds of questions, mm-hmm. make you consider um, sort of big thematic ideas in the world we're living in, and then it also makes you look at your own humanity in a in a strange way. Some of the more egregious examples of from this season and seasons of the past involve choices that people make. I actually wanted to ask you about that in a second, but. Uh, there is some criticism for Black Mirror, especially concerning the idea that each episode is uh, just a variation of a, of the same theme, like old, old Beatles songs. They all sort of sound the same in a way. Uh, Catherine Vanderonk or Van Arendonk, writing for uh, Vulture Ma- uh, Vulture Online in her article, "The Case Against Black Mirror," says you begin in one place, half to two thirds of the way through you get either a twist or an unexpected escalation and then yep that thing you suspected was not good at the start ends up being really extra not good by the end (laughs) so what is your take on that criticism and does season three of black mirror have enough variety to warrant uh your recommendation uh yeah first off i would recommend black mirror season three i wouldn't start with season three i think i would start with episode one season one and then from there i think the order could get kind of funky and Actually, there are lots of lists online of the order you should watch these in. Yeah, you can curate it yourself. Mm-hmm. There are some that I would recommend for people and some that I wouldn't mm-hmm. uh, for others. It's it's become a Whitman sampler of good <laughs> well it, it television. Re- yeah, it reminds me of uh, Star Wars. People argue about the order you should watch them in, whether you start with the original trilogy or if you do the, the prequels first. Right. You know, so what order? And then there's some even... Uh, stranger variations on that. Yeah, and this uh, this isn't really a collected universe mm-hmm. of interconnected, uh, like a shared universe for these episodes. But uh, I but mean, there are it ones America, that deal more with uh, c- certain aspects of technology, like yeah. uh, obsession with like kind of cell phones and people's personal connection to technology. And then there are ones that are more government themed, and then. There's other. Yeah, I think that uh, people don't realize. I know for a fact that there are a lot of people out there who aren't teachers of high school students or middle school students, probably even now, who do not really understand the impact that the cell phone has had mm-hmm. on society. I mean, they might see it in their lives. And if, if you're older like me you or my dad, even, it's not even really something that's in the forefront of your psyche. But as high school English teachers, we can't avoid seeing it. I mean, it's pervasive. And a lot of the commentary that this show makes about 
uh, you know, you know, social uh, media and uh, technology. I mean, they're spot on. So the guy has his finger on the pulse of uh, at least the teenage experience now, probably young adult experience in the future. And then, you know, what's going to happen when those people become adults themselves and have their own children? Is this going to be, I mean, I I think there's a natural uh, repulsion of things that are interesting to your parents. So they, are we going to, is it going to be so ingrained that they won't be able to get away from it? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Well, it's also technology speeding up Uh, real quick. There was one point you made that, you know, some of this stuff hasn't existed. Uh, I I saw a thing on time machines and when time machines first were in science fiction, it was only like 150 years ago. H.G. Wells, right? Yeah, because before that, the world didn't really change much from generation to generation, so people had no desire to time travel. Okay. Like, why would you want to go in the future? Because they just assumed the future would be similar to how it is now. But now, uh, you, you know, you mentioned Twitter and 3D movies are kind of blasé. Mm. They're, you know, they're old school. It's in the past. And that was only three, four years ago, if that. Mm. So, you know, we're speeding up constantly. Well, t- technology is disposable. I mean... I think it's a function also, though, of the situation we find ourselves in in a modern Western society. For the most part, we've met pretty much, as a society, we've met the hierarchy of needs spelled out by Maslow. Mm-hmm. You, you, can, you can exist in this world without really feeling hunger pains. I mean, either through begging or going to like free meals at this different churches from night to night. You don't really have to suffer from, I mean, I understand that there's a blight of homelessness, but a lot of times those people are, um, a lot better off than say in some sub Saharan African countries or, mm-hmm. and I think once we have this, uh, once we have our needs taken care of and we don't have to worry about, uh, I don't know, a pack of wolves attacking us or lions or something, then we can generate these boogeymen. Oh, yeah. That don't really exist. And I think maybe Black Mirror might be a result of that. Like, we're creating this idea of the technology being really invasive and really uh, purposefully uh, evil in our lives. But maybe it's just much ado about nothing. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, none of these episodes really are about trying to end world starvation. I mean, in the 70s, they thought that's what was going to lead to World War Three. Right. You know, the countries were going to run out of food and have to invade each other for... Um, food in the 80s it was oil now I mean a lot of those things seem to be gone most of these episodes seem in Black Mirror seem to center around the idea of entertainment how do we fill up the time in our lives how do we keep people focused on something and generally it's an artificial abstraction it's not like if you could put away all this technology you feel like the world would be fine it could keep moving on well, then there's also themes regarding the impact of social media mm-hmm. and uh, kind of the, tr- well, I mean, for me, some of the overarching themes of the entire season deal with the cause and effect of choices and what happens when your choices are either taken away from you or limited to the extent where you don't really have freedom of choice anymore. And there are some consequences to that. Um, we're suffering from uh you know, sort of a situation where if we don't have to worry about what's coming up next, maybe in some strange way we have to, we're going to have some fears that pop out of our, you know, future. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if any of that makes any sense. Is it possible for us to willingly give up so much of our freedom 
and make decisions that will affect our future, like these situations in the stories that mm-hmm. we're about to talk about. So that's kind of what Black Mirror means to me is it's examination of our future and ourselves. Yeah, so uh, there are 13 lucky episodes in total that you can go watch. <laughs> we're only talking about season three, right? Right. Those are the only things we're going yeah. to spoil today. Well, there might be mild spoilers for the other ones if it comes up in conversation. So mm. Just be forewarned, people. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll go. Episode one of season three uh, is called Nosedive, and it stars Bryce Dallas Howard, Alice Eve, James Norton, and Cherry Jones. It was directed by Joe Wright who was the director of the one of my favorite movies from a couple of three years ago, Atonement. And uh, he also directed Hannah. And I think you were big on the movie Pan, which recently came out as a Joe Ratch. Uh, there were moments in it that worked. Uh, it was written by Charlie Brooker. and uh, Or the story was Charlie Brooker. And Rashida Jones and Mike Schur wrote the teleplay. Basically, it's about a young Lacey Pound who lives in a world where anyone can rate popularity of you individually using like uh, face technology implants or devices in your eyes and you see someone and then you give them a rating based on your interactions with them and they can similarly rate you. Uh, This increase in technology has unintended consequences perhaps at least for Lacey and uh, she is obsessed with achieving the highest score i guess the highest score you can get is a five maybe mm-hmm. but for her i think she kind of hovers around a little bit 4.2187345 you know it goes all the way back to you know points of thousands is that right yeah and your social standing is all based upon this rating right so there is some benefit to increasing your rating so it's all about examining how important our image is mm-hmm. uh it's taking that sort of online social media identity that we have and extending it to the real world, uh, asking us how much we care about what other people think about us. And then are any of those interactions real, you know? Like, oh yeah. yeah. Or are they, are they all like just, we we're talking around what we really mean and what we really think about you. Uh, I guess Uber is the best example of this now. <laughs> I mean, I've never tried Uber, but don't you rate the drivers and the drivers rate the passengers and then you can maybe not pick up a passenger or not agree to this contract based on these interactions? Yeah, based on the ratings and everything, yeah, you you could say no dice. So that's insanely artificial, especially and highly subjective, especially given the fact that some people could just have bad days or a smelly car. But uh, don't you do this to some extent on Amazon if you're buying from a third-party seller? Don't you want them to have a good star rating? Yeah, you would prefer to see that star rating. I hadn't thought about the Amazon rating system. So, I mean, it, it, we, we do need it to some extent. Do you need to rate every single interaction, though, in your life? Well, they tried that with a web app called People a while ago. And I heard that this was an episode sort of of the the television show Community. They had, like, immediate oh. rating systems. I never saw the episode, so I can't Yeah, really it sounds vaguely familiar. Community had a lot of theme stuff, but... I couldn't imagine this working in school. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's that important to people like me and but I mean again this is in the future so maybe it would be to kids. Uh, well, there's a moment in the show where she does not have her phone 
and she's still like holding up her hand trying to rape people. Right. You know, it's just it's become ingrained muscle memory. Well, you've heard about the phantom um, vibrations students experience with their cell phones. <laughs> you've never heard of this? No. Oh yeah, they they kids are constantly reaching for stuff that's vibrating in their pocket that's not really vibrating. This is a real psychological disorder that students have oh, because they need that constant tactile feedback. Yeah, it's and I mean if it happens with some regularity, if it happens. I don't know, say 15 times an hour, maybe 30 times an hour for most kids. If you go 27 minutes without having it, you're going to, I guess your mind is going to supplant that feeling or recreate that feeling. I saw an article online recently that said people who use a smartphone have, like right before they go to sleep, have you know less rest. But even if the smartphone is in the room, mm-hmm. it doesn't even have to be turned on. If it's in the room, apparently that affects your sleep patterns as well. <laughs> So the psychology there is impressive. I mean, yeah, it's really insane when you think about it. Yeah, but I mean, this is an episode I'm like, wow, I could imagine this world existing 10 minutes from now. Pretty much all of the technology with the phones right. exists so that this would work. There's some stuff in this episode also with individual specific advertising mm-hmm. that, I mean, they did it a long time ago, Minority Report. But I'm wondering... And I, I wasn't able to, to nail it down while I was watching the show. I was wondering if those were extrapolations of her own psyche or if they were actually on these billboards showing a picture of her interacting with this other character in such a way that she would want this thing. So I, I don't know. If it, and, and maybe there's some sort of metafictional commentary there about whether or not there is anything psychologically going on or if it's actually real, those advertisings. That she sees. Yeah, I don't know. I know they're working on technology so that we could look at the same screen and see two different images. It's based on like the angle that you're viewing that the device could know and change the image. Like if you, you mean seen, like the paint on my car? Uh, no, like you would look at a screen and you would see a flower and I would see a building. Uh, did you ever see those cheap like 2D pictures? Mm-hmm. But they're supposed to look 3D, and as you shift yeah, your the gaze across them, his head yeah, up it moves. And down, yeah. It's based on that technology. What would be the point of that, though? So then you could have a specific image for each person. And then, like, they thought other uses could be, uh, we could both be playing the same video game. And instead of having to have a split screen, we would both be able to see the full screen and see our player moving around doing whatever. But we'd be looking at different worlds? Yeah. So my world would be filled with puppies, (laughs) and (laughs) your world would be filled with... I don't know, uh, yeah. cupcakes or whatever. I don't know sure. what you're into. Cupcakes. I don't yeah. know what you're into. But uh, yeah, so I mean, it's all plausible. I, I just, I, don't, I would not want to live in this world because I don't think I would uh, have a very high star rating. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would want to live in this world either. But there's got to be the movie or the show comments on the liberating effects of not worrying about that the, sort of thing. There's a character like a. I heard it described as a Snake Pilsen character mm-hmm. that she meets later on, played by, oh, Cherry Jones, who reveals that she was obsessed with her ratings, just like Lacey was, and then she decided not to worry about it so much. Would the star ratings, though, be better like in situations like in the airport, when the security guard dots her a full point for 24 hours and says she gets double penalty points whenever yeah, anyone rates damage. her? double damage. And and she tries to argue. He's like, "Don't do it. I'll take another point." And she goes away. Right. It wouldn't that be great? Like if we as teachers could do that. 
I don't feel like have students uh, acting out against me. Well, then, but you're, it's, it would still create a false world. Like, would your students, your students would be commenting on you, but they wouldn't be able would, to hide behind would they the veil. Be allowed? Like, she wasn't allowed to rate the security guard, the police officer there. Well, I guess so. Instead of a standard. student GPA, we're constantly rating them. Can't everybody else rate that interaction though? Can't they? They, they could the, too. The security guard. I mean, I don't think they can rate the security guard. I think he's. I think he's above board. I would hope teachers. Would he's be. like Ollie North. So anytime a kid answers a question, do you know the answer? No, one out of five. <laughs> kid answers, you know, yeah, three. And if they try and get mad, you're like, doc, you a huh. point. Wouldn't that be awesome? No, I don't. I think there'd be a pushback, and they wouldn't accept it, and then the students would revolt. They would riot. Yeah, much <laughs> like Lacey does here. She she tries to engineer a social situation that will generate points for her. And then I mean, there's a series of missteps. Now in terms of the episode though, what was your take on it? Because uh, for me, I thought it's getting a little tedious. It's yeah. I mean, I don't need to see her interact with her phone 27 times in this episode to get it. I get it early on. And mm-hmm. I thought that they just sort of maybe 15 minutes too long on this one. Yeah. I, I think this one went on a little bit too long, but I wonder if that makes the payoff all the sweeter. You know, her rant at the wedding followed by the blow up at the jailhouse. I thought that the rant at the wedding itself went too long. <laughs> and then I thought the blow up at the whale house, uh, the whale house, Melville makes an appearance today. The blow up at the jailhouse pulled too many punches. Really? Yeah, because how effective would the, would the commentary had been if she had called him the N word? Uh, well, she says everything else in the book. Yeah, but there's something liberating about using that. That's a, that's the big taboo word, right? Uh-huh. Or taboo word, taboo. <laughs> and I I was waiting for them to do that, and I thought, why didn't they do that? Why are are they self censoring? Does Black Mirror want to self censor? In a way, they did. They put a black character. Maybe there. is the N word though as strong for uh, British people? Oh, I don't know, but it, it's this was an American. I mean, this this yeah, was made for American audiences. This it was made is Bryce Dallas world, Howard. It was made for uh, worldwide audiences, but the creator of the show still had a hand in writing this. I, I, I don't know if the N-word is as important to British culture. It's at least as right. uh, insulting as anything else they could come up with over there All in right. Britain. They, okay. I, I, I just thought I, that they I, pulled a little punches there. Okay, I, I see your point. That's fine. Yeah. Um, the second episode was playtest, and this involved a American traveler who uh, needs some money so he can go home. So he gets involved with a video game company as a playtester, mm-hmm. and they're testing new 3D technology where they implant uh, something in the back of your head, kind of like Matrix-esque. Uh, you know, at least that seemed to be the callback yeah. that I felt, and he is able to experience visions of the world and see things that aren't there. Uh, they first have him play a whack-a-mole game on a table. And, you yeah, know, that mole was pretty cute. Yeah, and he sees everything. I mean, it seems real My to him. My fiance was like, ooh, I want that. Uh, of course, there's no tactile feedback. And then they, they ask if he would like to do some more uh, playtesting, and it gets into like survival horror-type mm-hmm. aspects, which... Uh, from what I've seen about Oculus Rift, there's some great videos of people freaking out in zombie games and like trying to run away when the zombies have them surrounded right. and smacking right into a wall and knocking themselves unconscious. So, oh. you know, apparently survivor survival horror is one of the most exciting uh, genres to do video games for right now. 
I wonder if that would affect me because I don't really get scared by movies because they're so impersonal to me. Like I, like in seeing horror movies, I don't really have the sensations of a person who's actually in the horror movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe I lack empathy. I'm a psychopath. I don't know. But I wonder if with Oculus Rift or some VR, if it would engender in me those kinds of feelings. Yeah, if you have surround sound and you hear someone breathing behind you and you whip around and boom, zombie. Huh. Lifelike right in your face. I mean, that's where I thought, okay, you know, the technology is a, a, a leap or two beyond what we're capable of right now, huh. but it, it's very possible. This is directed by Dan Trachtenberg. I've, I, our laugh podcast fave who did 10 Cloverfield Lane, which has some of those similar themes about people being trapped away. Mm-hmm. Um, has Wyatt Russell as Cooper and then Hannah John Kamen as Sonya. And she's supposed to be playing Sonya again in season four in an episode without a title. So oh, I really? wonder if we might have our first uh, reoccurring crossover. Yeah. Type of thing? Yeah. Storyline. Uh, I'm not sure in the narrative where she, f- okay. Yeah. I do remember because again, with this episode, I thought that the exposition was quite a bit longer than it needed to be. And so we were spending way too much time with the, with these people. And I was thinking, I don't remember having this feeling with the original seven episodes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I went back and looked and those earlier episodes are really about 15 minutes shorter. Oh, they're all like right in. About they're all right around forty minutes. minute range, yeah. and then these are all around an hour. And I'm, well, I'm you thinking, also, there's something wrong with. I mean, there's something wrong with that. You man. can tell the budget has gone way up. The yeah. amount of CGI in this one, I was very impressed with the CGI. Mm. There is that uh, humanoid spider creature that's definitely a callback to the thing in this. Very freaky, very scary. Did you think it was scary? I thought it was just kind of ridiculous. Uh, if I saw that thing crawling around, I'd be a little freaked out. Yeah, I suppose I would too. It, it's not if a, I really saw, but I didn't think it was as scary as I. Well, yeah, you know, it's not. Well, I was also, I, I was also wondering what what can they do? How far are they allowed to push? Uh, you know, the show goes into light R territory. I think would be fair. PG yeah, probably yeah, light yeah, R yeah. somewhere in there. It's a little grotesque. Some of the horror is. Are you talking about the sexual stuff? Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit, there's some light sexual stuff. I, I think only one of the episodes has nudity in it. Language would definitely get it in an R rating. Yeah, language is going to be Violence, yeah, that's somewhere on the line. It's amazing what they get away with with PG-13 now. One of the things I didn't like about this episode, another thing I didn't like, was the double ending. What do you think of that? Yeah, it was going back too many times. It was trying to be a little too cutesy. Though, I do like that they, I felt like they got it out of their system with this episode. Oh, really? Well, this is sort of a callback to uh, the Christmas special episode. Yeah. That you can spend an infinite amount of time in inside of this virtual world, mm-hmm. and it only lasts you know a couple of seconds in the real world. So uh, and that's kind of how dreams work, too. Yeah. So I like sort of the dreamscape concepts surrounding playtests, but I'm not sure. I thought that this was going to be your favorite episode based on what you said about it earlier, but no, this is somewhere I think in the middle. I uh, guess you know, we'll not get... to give away too much, but you know, I thought it's a decent episode. If you like to be frightened, I think this is pretty good. I think we both said that this would be good to show our film classes if it didn't have so much language in it. Yeah, we could have done this uh, during the horror and suspense units. Well, there's also some commentary inside of the of the um, episode itself where the the character uh played by wyatt russell what's his name cooper Mm -hmm. 
where he's commenting on what's happening while it's happening. And I, I kind of like that meta-referential. I bet I'm going to turn around and there he yeah, is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you could talk about blocking and uh, the cinematography was impressive. I think Brooker was more closely involved with the story than on some of the other episodes. I think he was the uh, the sole writer on this. So he, he helped to move the action later on uh, when they were actually filming it. So not a bad episode, but not as good as episode three. Shut up and dance. This is uh, directed by James Watkins, who did the movie The Woman in Black. And I don't know if you saw Bastille Day came out. I haven't seen Bastille this Day seems, yet. That movie seems to be a lot in your line. That kind of like action movie thing. So it's got some of those elements. This is a uh, more of a genre piece than I think. Well, the last one was sort of a genre piece, sci-fi horror. This seems to be like a thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the pacing is one of the things I like most about it. It's basically, it's about a young Kenny teenager who uh, installs some malware remover in his laptop. And this program records him doing something that he finds embarrassing. And he would find embarrassing. He, he immediately gets an email from the individuals or the organization or whatever that did the recording and informs him he has to do a number of things or else they'll release it to the world. Uh, I mean, when he's grabbing for the tissues, you kind of know what he's doing Mm -hmm. there and he locks the door and he's very, I guess he's very exacting about protecting this image that he has. There are some key expository things that happen the beginning of the episode that there's a real payoff for at the end of the episode. I thought, um, and one of the questions my fiance had, she was watching this, was, well, why does he care? I mean, everybody, I mean, that's not going to be that big of a deal. And I know you say you saw the twist sort of early. I, I thought maybe he was so socially awkward anyway mm-hmm. that the little light that he had from his boss, who was sort of friendly to him and uh, at, at his work, and it, he, that would have destroyed that, and he would have lost all that as well. So I, I thought that there was some legitimacy to how far he would go, especially when it's just for him delivering a cake. Basically, they say to him, he's got to take this cake somewhere, and then he'll be off the hook. Um, but then it, it escalates after that, and I like the level of escalation, especially when it when he meets up with Alex Lothar, best known. Oh, sorry, Alex Lothar is the um, guy that plays Kenny. He was a uh, young Alan Turing in the Imitation Game. All right, yeah. fair enough. Um, he meets up with the guy who Tony says, "Hey, I recognize that guy." I said, "Yeah, it's Braun from Game of Thrones." Jerome Flynn plays a beleaguered man who's in sort of the same situation, and uh, he has to. They they sort of team up. They go and there's this steady escalation of things that they're asking them to do, and I thought. This is the one episode so far that I saw, and I actually I kind of watched this out of order. It might have been the fifth one I watched, where this could really happen. I mean, this could happen right now. This could be happening right now. The technology exists now. That people are getting blackmailed into doing stuff? Oh, yeah. Well, not only that, but also using the the web software. And there was nothing in the technology that was way in advance. Like in some of these other episodes, you have, even the last one, you have implants in the brain. That's not really going on here. This is like, you know... a Someone. Oh, oh, apparently it's very easy to do. There was just a huge hacks into um, your web. Or yeah, your the the internet went webcam. down a week or so ago, 
And they said it's a vulnerability in cheap like webcams and stuff that are coming from China that aren't properly uh, the firmware on them or something huh. leaves them open to attack and people can get in and control your computer through this How stuff. How boring would that be? Oh, to control the computer. I guess that's important. Yeah, because then they can access your files, yeah, yeah. record videos of you, all that stuff. Well, until the end, you do question why this guy is willing to do what he does. And then when he gets to the point where he's going to murder somebody. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Even then, though, in the back of my mind, I was I, I hadn't gone to the, the, the pedophilia route. Cause to me, it just, seemed, it, it just seemed to me that I've gone this far. And now I have to continue to go this far. And if he is only led to go rob a bank by himself and he's not pushed on by Jerome Flynn's character, then maybe it doesn't make sense for the next thing that he does. But for me, it just made sense in the context of the escalation of, uh, you know, one thing leading to another and sort of the domino effect there. So I never really questioned it. And the twist was surprising enough to me and effective. When right. he encounters the guy, and the guy says, uh, "He says, what were you doing? Yeah, you know, masturbating online. What were you looking at?" Yeah, and then it all kind of fell into focus, and it sort of brings back that uh, earlier scene where he's talking to a little girl. Makes you question that interaction too. So. Yeah, that interaction just seemed weird. The way he was so bug-eyed in the opening shot, and then when Braun was talking to him in the car, and just going, "Everyone wax off," <laughs> right? And I was like, "Yeah, everyone does," but. And I thought, what do they? <laughs> but it's funny, too, though. And I little... thought, oh, okay, yeah. You know, because Braun's in there because uh, he likes prostitutes. Or he, or is this the one prostitute he decided to go to? Yeah. At some point, he's going to be blackmailed for going to a prostitute. Yeah, well, I I feel like prostitutes are like roaches. <laughs> okay. It, 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 if you go to one, there's there, there are more, okay. right? So I, I Wait, that's he, the way you feel? That's the way he feels. That, that, that's that's my theory. People who use prostitutes don't oh. do it just once. They're like the Pringles. Yeah. So I thought, oh, okay, this is a little more deviant, and you know, it just it needed to be a little more. So uh, I, I saw the twist coming. I wasn't happy though that I was right. Uh, I was never like, yeah. Well, I, this is the one one of the episodes where I was like, oh, they went there. All right. So you you were happy that they went there. I also felt a little empty though at the end when uh. They get these people to do everything that they say, and then they still uh, turn them in. Well, isn't that the isn't that the irony? That's the double irony. Yeah, yeah, stuff it's, is it's double bad. irony. But it's, yeah. shouldn't you feel disgusted and you know sort of horrific? Like I said, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but these then they made are... them go and do horrible things. What does that say about uh, anonymous? I mean, isn't that what that logo at the end uh, is supposed to represent? Yeah, but kind of you know that that hacker group anonymous. That's oh, what I don't I think thinking. they're representative of anonymous. Oh, I saw that definitely as anonymous because they've gone after. Oh no, people that's a before. meme. That that guy actually tried to copyright his meme, and he hates other people to use it. Well, it just means being trolled, right? Yeah, you're being trolled. But I I saw that okay, I just just the motivations of the group is being much like anonymous, whom we love. Please don't come after our podcast, <laughs> right? Because uh, I know other people have tried challenging anonymous and saying you can't get anything on me and. You know, a day later. No, no, no. Your I whole love life history is on the internet. Anonymous so. is awesome. I am not like Kaylee Kuko, Kaluku. Oh, did the anonymous attack her? Yeah, when the fappening happened. And she goes, I don't know why this is a problem for the people. The fappening? Yeah. What the? 
What it's, are you talking about? The Fapnine is the name for uh, the release of all these celebrity photos stolen from their cell phones. Oh, okay. And uh, the actress from Big Bang Theory said, I don't know why this is a problem. Why would people take these types of photos? Oh, okay. Uh, you know, whoever's doing this, whatever. <laughs> a day later, <laughs> uh, there was stuff of her released. Okay. So that, uh, that's why I read I gotta in the do article. some more research on that one, I think. Yeah, so... So, uh, the fourth episode was San uh, Junipero. Juniper? Junipero? Junipero. Junipero. Uh, this star, Gugu Matha Ra, right? As Kelly. I, don't, I think uh, there's no, you don't pronounce the M, but. Whatever. <laughs> Just do whatever you can. Uh, it. And then Mackenzie Davis, who I'm a big fan of. Really? Yeah. I thought she was great. From what? The Martian. She's the one that figures out that uh, oh, Matt Damon's character is still alive. Okay. I thought she was really good in that, and I thought, oh, okay, you know, she's an interesting actress. I thought she, she looked like Gabe Kaplan's wife from Welcome Back, Cotter. I and I don't know who that is. That's what I was thinking. Why did they find her? Why did they find this woman? She reminds me of a young Brooke Shields. All right, and fair enough. So uh, I'm, I, I think she's a, a a lovely actress, very talented. <laughs> Excuse me. I liked her on Halt and Catch Fire, though. Overall, I don't like that show. It's a little too slow. Never saw it. Uh, yeah, it's on AMC about the early days of Silicon Valley. Uh, so I enjoy this. This is about two, ter- uh, two tourists who are in this, this seaside town and they're there just for an evening. It seems like every week. So you're kind of wondering what's going yeah, up on until midnight or something. Yeah. It's like this, uh, and countdown to a certain time. It's taking place in the eighties, at least yeah, in the, the first scene. The first couple of scenes are in that. Yeah. Right in the smack dab in my era, Mr. Bull. Oh, so you started getting very nostalgic. Well, I was thinking, how did they afford the music rights? Like, that must have been a huge part of the budget. Just the rights for all these different songs. Because I know all those songs. There's actually, uh, you can go on YouTube, there's a playlist now of like 80 songs that they had. Or maybe someone else Oh, yeah. And the music was important. And then a lot of these songs, I'm like, wow, I haven't heard this in a long time. These are songs, like you said, that just don't appear in film, so they probably have very high royalties, and there was a song on here that gave it all away. What, the B- B- Belinda Carlisle song? I don't think it's Belinda Heaven Carlisle. on Earth? No. Well, uh, I guess, yeah, that Heaven could... Heaven is a place on Earth? No, the uh, Girl in a Coma or something? Oh, yes, yeah, so when it. you hear that, then you realize that... <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, okay, because there is kind of this unearthly aspect. But then there's a, twi- uh, there's a twist, though, with that, like... It can double twist back on you because you're expecting the twist. Now they can throw things out there that foreshadow things. Mm-hmm. And then you think, ah, that's too obvious. But then when it really happens, there's a double twist. Oh, that there's not another twist? Because <laughs> yeah, what twist. I liked about this was this was a much simpler story, at least like if you were to chart it out. Because it just has the one twist kind of in the middle where you, where well, you, where you the- find out that this is a virtual world. Well, then, but you realize the Gugu Bataraz character has a reason not to want to be mm-hmm. part of this forever. Uh, okay, yeah, but it's, it, it's emotional. It's not technology-driven. Yeah, and because of I, the, I like this. Because of that, it was really boring for me. <laughs> really uh, boring. Th- this, is, um, <laughs> this is an AA group that I'd want to uh, join. Atheist <laughs> Afterlife. Okay. Well, uh, they leave out the idea that there could be a potential heaven that exists beyond this or outside of this. Yeah. Like her her husband, Gugu Bhattara's husband, chooses the other option, mm-hmm. which is potentially to spend 
eternity with her child or are they saying that he chooses not to have anything at all or i'm not sure the the I don't flexible think she believes that there. she can ever be reunited with her child right i think her husband does he's a more religious man but she also doesn't seem to be completely sold on the technology either as a permanent solution not like uh, Mackenzie davis's character well she's not dead yet right am i right Neither of them is right. Dead the, yet. Well, the other, the one is brain dead or yeah, in a coma. In a coma, was in Mackenzie Davis' character in a yeah. coma. So, uh, so she convinces the girl in the in the reality, virtual reality world, to come visit her in the real world. And and by then, it was just so. Ugh, I don't care. Oh no, I I, I like it. And I get it. The the implications of what you could do. I also like the idea of being able to go back and reclaim your youth. Uh, that, that's always one of the themes when we teach the Odyssey that I find the saddest. That Odysseus lost out on all this time that he cannot get back with his family and his, his loved ones. Dog. Yeah, his, Argus. His, his dog, his son. I mean, he misses his child's entire childhood. Um, he misses, you know, his wife. Well, that's a question. Years, so. Also, like, what what form do you take when you die if you believe in there's this heaven that exists outside of your corporeal existence? Then what does your soul look like? Cause if it looks like what I look like now, I wouldn't want that. <laughs> if it looks like what I'm going to look like, and you know, if I live to be 10 more years or 20 more years, yeah, I don't know. You know, you, you, you have a different, uh, I've heard some people say that you look like whatever they print in the uh, newspaper. <laughs> I thought, eh, why would God do that? I, I did have this have moment when I saw towards the end, Gugu's out there running around on the beach or something looking so youthful. And I was like, Damn, I, I, it would be great to be that young again. I found out she's a year older than me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, oh, I'm in the moment right now. <laughs> yeah, you could be running on the beach, driving oh. around in uh, um, uh, convertibles. Oh, yeah. And, of course, I'm at school in my classroom that has no windows. <sighs> that you've had for the last 10 years. Artificial light yeah. that, like. Uh, flickers and everything. I thought, yep, uh, I'm like that character in the Matrix. I'm willing to just go into the simulation. The, I don't care if it's not real. The, the problem, I, one of the problems I have with this is, to, to me, I'm just not a sensitive person. I'm not a sensitive <laughs> soul, and I, the whole love story thing to me, just yeah, it's like whatever. <laughs> but then the movie, I started holding it up to scrutiny, and it seems like this is supposed to be a place where people can go and visit or be there for all of time. And it's supposed to be like heaven or happiness, but there's one character that's like chasing this Gugu Batara characters uh, around and he seems pretty miserable. And I'm thinking that's a pretty miserable existence for this guy. That's just obsessed with this girl like Mackenzie is, but he never makes the connection with her. She keeps rejecting him at every turn. Well, we never see him in the real world because he keeps saying you know, we only have two hours left or whatever. So he's got to be in that retirement home too. Well, does does that mean that he's, that he's not in the real world? Or does that mean that, that he is in the real world? He only exists in this virtual reality world. Because if he is in the real world, then going to this place sucks for him. But he continues to go. He just seems like a bitter, angry guy. You wouldn't jack into the Matrix if given the choice for five hours? Not if I knew that the person was going to continually reject me. Oh, maybe you meet someone. I, I don't know. I don't know. That's what I thought. It was like, for everybody, it can't be the same. 
So whatever, like if you could choose your heaven, mm-hmm. that's not going to be the same as my heaven. And if we're going to the same place, what you like, your cupcakes and stuff, might interfere with my puppies. I don't know, having a beach house. Yeah, but ha- that, having a I hate the beach. I hate sand. I hate water. Oh, so you, uh, oh, I, I was seeing this place. I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't mind moving there. No, I'm, that's what I mean. Like you create this reality for yourself that ex- extends beyond where you are now. Would it be the same as everybody else's? And it just doesn't seem like that's a. I think the computer makes this place and runs the simulation. Maybe they have other ones. I don't know. Well, I, I, I was holding it. it up to screen. You can like it. It's fine. I it just... was my favorite episode. All right. The fifth episode is uh, Men Against Fire. This is directed by Jacob Verbruggen, who did The Fall uh, TV show. Have you been watching that? No. The third season's out on Netflix now. It's I know you've talked good. about it. It's not bad. The first two seasons were pretty good. He also did House of Cards, some episodes in House of Cards. So he's a TV guy. He's doing TNT's uh, The Alienist, which is a novel by Caleb Carr, mm-hmm. which is really good. Uh, so I'm interested to see what he does with that. This movie is a take on... Um, Sort of the idea of uh, the implant of propaganda, or the the effect of propaganda on soldiers, and how a future war might be fought against um, forces that may or may not be militarized. They seem to me like fast moving zombies. The char- the main character Stripe, played by Macal- uh, Malachi Kirby, is part of a squad led by uh, Sarah Snooks Medina. And they have this sort of symbiotic relationship with technology. Like they can see what the drones they use see and they can, uh, they, they can locate each other and themselves and it's sort of like an extended super soldiers that these guys have become. Uh, they are looking for these, I don't know what you call them, fast moving zombies is the best way to describe yeah. them. They describe them as roaches who are, having an impact on the world in general. And then they have to go chase these things down. At some point, the, they, he becomes aware that the reality that he sees is not real. The things that he sees are actually implants. And then he has to deal with the ramifications of having killed human beings who just aren't acceptable to society. Yeah, I, I, That's the part I, I wasn't sure on, and I'm not sure... If the if the episode does a good job of answering why these roaches are, or why this group of people are considered roaches, I guess they're rebels, or they are they, or something, or are they like Jews? Is this like advanced eugenics? Ooh, yeah, that, that's possible. Uh, yeah, that, and then where the episode kind of broke down for me was: Do the other human beings who aren't considered to be roaches, because they encounter quite a few of them, uh, do they? see them in the same way that the soldiers see them, and I don't think that's the case. No, I think only the soldiers have the implants because they need the implants to be effective fighters. Yeah, Apparently title, very few soldiers actually uh, shoot people and kill. The title comes from a book written by uh, Brigadier General S.L.A. Marshall, uh, who uh, talking about servicemen in world war ii only 75 percent of uh only 25 percent of soldiers even fired their rifles under immediate threat and most of them when they actually fired just shot above the uh, enemy's head this mm-hmm. is the what he's making about the, the point that he was making about um soldiers and their unwillingness to engage the enemy 
um, some of those st- statistics have been sort of uh, dis uh, proven. Yeah, but it does take a certain type of psychopath to shoot out or mm-hmm. shoot at another human being and know what you're doing. It, it does take a lot of mental conditioning, you know, to do those things. Any, anytime you're dealing with extreme situations, most people have that flight reflex instead of the fight. Right. You know, or they just want to be um, uh, just the the watcher and not do anything. Uh, I trained a lot of lifeguards when I managed the pool as a, when I was in college. And we used to have to train and train and train. And one of the things they told us why you do that is so that you ingrain what to do or else you will have lifeguards in the stand watching someone drown and kind of being fascinated by it and just being frozen and not being able to move. Well, I mean, the fight or flight or sit. Uh, yeah. I mean, but, sit, I mean there the were times I stare mechanism a, after one of my guards would have a save and I would say good save and they would go, what save? And you're, and you're like, you just saved that kid and you would point to the kid and then you could see them making those connections. Huh. You know, the brain does weird things in uh, extreme situations. Did you see the video online of the couple in the pool in South Africa? I think it's South Africa. There's in a pool late at night. It's, it's like night vision coverage of a video camera of this couple having a like little tryst and a six foot alligator sneaks into the pool behind them. <laughs> well, the dude jumps out, runs <laughs> off, is leaves his girlfriend there to fend off this alligator. She's slapping at him, trying to keep her keep the alligator away from him because I guess an alligator can't do much unless they get you. And then they wrap you and roll you and they take you underground and drown you. Yeah, they clamp on, you're done. But, I mean, if you can keep away from them, they got those little arms, those little alligator arms, you know, they're not going to get crushed. So she backs away and then eventually the guy comes back. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to have much of a relationship after this. So, uh, oh, yeah. It's kind of scary to think. I mean, you, you don't really, you can't control your actions necessarily, fight or flight. Yeah, the, uh, we had a kid drown or was in the process of drowning, and my guard wasn't quick to react. The dad was watching the little kid, and he's like, help her, help her. And he's just standing by the edge of the pool because he's got his normal clothes. Mama came running from like 50 feet away, jumped in the pool, full clothes, swam, got the huh. kid, brought her back. The stank eye she gave her oh, husband. Yeah. Uh, those are grounds for divorce. And he's like, what? <laughs> I had a girlfriend break up with me because of the, there was a squirrel in the fireplace. It came down from the, the flu or whatever. <laughs> and I did the shoulder roll away, <laughs> away and like rolled her back, kind of put her in between me and the squirrel. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. really, um, <laughs> with your uh, loved one. Th- this episode, I, I didn't care for a whole lot. I do like the technology of being able to substitute a different person in your vision. Like, wouldn't this be great teaching? You never have to have kids make mean faces at you or, like, <laughs> be all sourpuss. Would you, so you would accept that if you could take out the sourpuss? Yeah. What, yeah. Wouldn't it be kind of nice if you could just teach? And you every time you look kid. at your classroom, you have kids looking up at you, smiling, paying attention. I would never want the fakeness. I'd want the reality. Really? Or just the fake version that they're willing to put on, I guess. I, I, I want to know that there's some, I, I don't want my mind manipulated by. All right technology in any way this just seemed to me like a darker version of san junipero uh especially at the end like uh, in the end uh, this is the this is what i asked my kids when we're talking about brave new world john the savage is given a choice at the end of brave new world this guy is given a choice does he accept the memory of having killed human beings 
in a very graphic, brutal way, children and women, you know, defenseless people? Or does he allow the army to implant in his mind a memory that he finds really satisfying? And I ask my students which one they would choose. They don't like those kinds of questions, you know. <laughs> they try to, like, change around so they don't have to answer. But uh, I think a majority of them would choose, as probably most human beings would choose, the false um, reality that doesn't exist. Yeah. And I don't really know if it's much of a choice. Like you're going to be tortured by this thing that you did. Why, how could, why would you be willing to accept it? So I agree. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, pretty brutal. Uh, probably the episode that everyone is positive about is the final episode in this. Now, hold on there. Slow your roll. Oh, I've heard some really bad things about hated in the, uh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. But like I said, that's the thing about this, this group of episodes you can kind of judge the type of person you're talking to based on which of these episodes they responded to. They're so vastly different, Mm -hmm. even though they're sort of dealing with the same sorts of things. Oh, see, I thought Hated in the Nation was the most Black Mirror-ish of all of these episodes. Huh. Um, This takes place in a near-future London where police detective Karen Park and her tech-savvy psychic Blue investigate a string of mysterious deaths. All these like pseudo celebrities keep right. dying after the internet gets upset at them and uh, their supposed crimes. Well, there are people they're, that everybody they're, knows. They're social crimes, I guess. Right. The the web gets outraged. The internet gets outraged at them, and then they start randomly dying. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, this also has Benedict Wong. I was glad to see him show up from The Martian. Another connection to yeah i think he's just a great character actor i'll, I'll talk about him in the we laugh because he's in uh dr strange he kind of he kind of gives a weight to this that the episode was lacking a little bit mm-hmm. it was kind of like floating out there i thought it started really strong but it, he when he comes in he sort of grounds it a little bit i thought but i, I like this one this one had a bunch of twists and turns yeah, I thought you might like this one. Uh, uh, this reminds me a lot of Michael Cray, and I think he has a book called Swarm, Swarm or Prey, and yeah, just about little insect insect nanotechnology, yeah, not, you know, and what swarms can do, and just apparently this is the way future wars will be fought. Mm-hmm. You know, put a, a tiny bit of explosive in ten thousand little robots sure. and fly them at the other side's base. You can't take them all out. Right. The amount of damage they could do is pretty scary. So uh, this episode scared me. And, you know, well, yeah, what can you do? How do you fight back against this? Yeah, I like also the unintended consequences of a technology with respect to they were trying to solve one problem, but it sets up another host of problems. Well, this seems to take all of the big themes, uh, government, social media, and also personal choice. Right. You know, morality. And it wraps them all into one tale in a way I don't feel any of the other episodes did. It's also the longest episode. Oh, yeah. It's uh, an hour and a half. It could be a standalone film. And it's the one that has um, potential for more, more potential for a sequel. Like you could, oh, you I could, could see them doing a sequel to this based sure. on the twist ending that they where they, they find the guy that, or they're actually chasing after the guy. At some point, you think that Blue is dead. Mm-hmm. But then they twist that back around, and she's actually tracked the the adversary, the one that set this whole thing into motion. Now, that's one of the things I didn't like about 
the episode because I thought it was going in one direction and, and I thought there was going to be like AI or the swarm itself was going to have its own conscious or conscience or consciousness about whether or not some people should exist. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was going to be a commentary there on, uh, you know, just the way that bees propagate flower, or, uh, pro- not propagate. What's the word? Uh, pollinate. Pollinate. Yeah, they pollinate, but then they can also like take out the human beings that aren't going to be helpful to but the isn't to the, the system. internet a swarm? Isn't yeah, that but the so metaphor I, that they're going for. Yeah, but then they put in this human um, actor. And by actor, I mean this this uh, sort of benevolent or a malevolent human character who sort of motivates all of the actions behind it. And I thought that that I thought that that was a little bit too uh, I don't know tropey and exacting and yeah yeah. But I mean, he he creates the the machinery for all this to happen, but it's still people's impulse and what are people going to do when they think that they're anonymous and can get away with anything on the internet you know uh, i'm just one person voting for this person to die right you know it's ten thousand other people so even if i'm guilty of this person dying that death doesn't just make me a murderer it makes me one ten thousand ten thousandth of a murderer right you know so the the guilt is spread around so much the mob mentality yeah it's not that bad. And yet that gets reversed on people. And I thought, Ooh, that's kind of interesting. I like that. But I think by having that guy as a scapegoat, then it sort of lessens the impact of the individual responsibility that the people who do put death to. See, I don't think he's that, that horrible of a person. <laughs> I, right, I but wasn't, the, but the, I, I thought the episode set him up as a horrible person. Yeah, they tried to, but it's like in Tomorrowland. Neither of us really think Hugh Laurie is that horrible. <laughs> oh, we I didn't know that you shared my. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, I didn't know that you shared. You know, that I'm like criticism with me. If you're the type of person that would vote for someone to die, and you're reasonably certain your vote counts, and you know would actually result in this person dying in only a couple of hours, you're a pretty horrible person. That's, yeah, that's what I mean. And, and don't you deserve some sort of karmic retribution, even if it's delivered by mechanical? No, but I thought maybe if the internet rose up as an entity, like a virtual entity itself, to create the situation where human beings are held accountable for their actions instead of another human being generating it, I thought it might have been a little bit more interesting. Maybe. What I'd like to see is, after all these people get killed, and you know if you vote in this poll, you get killed, and they do another round of the poll, does anyone vote? (laughs) Yeah, I think that that might be the comment that the guy's making, doesn't this end that? Does does that end that? Because, you know, I've always wanted to hang the 10-ton uh, safe in the school cafeteria with a red button underneath. Right. You only and a little plaque that says, if you push red button, safe falls on you and you die. I'm guilty of killing the first person. <laughs> I accept that. But, but if the you're the 27th person who pushes that button and there are 26 other squished students, right. I don't think I'm guilty of killing that person. But there's also the benefit to society. You've created, <laughs> you've, you've sort of thinned the herd. Yeah. Did you know that Blue was the waif? From Game of Thrones? No. The girl that plays Arya's tutor? She doesn't look anything like her. But wow. yeah, apparently she's the waif. And uh, Kelly McDonald, who plays, what's her name, Karen? Mm-hmm. Karen Park. Uh, she's Car- Kellyanne Moss in, um, oh, sorry, Kelly. Uh, what's her name? Ke- uh, Carla Jean Moss in No Country for Old Men. Mm. I love that actress. When I saw her in this, playing that role as an older woman, 
mm-hmm. I thought, wow, this is going to be really interesting. And I kind of like that dynamic between the two of them. Okay. Uh, but you didn't like this episode. No, overall. I liked half of it. <laughs> I, I liked right up until they go to the the center for bee control or whatever. I, I liked the police procedural part of it. I liked some of the some of the dialogue. I liked the interactions, but I think it was the scene following the scene where they talked to the high school or the elementary school teacher. And at that point, I was just like, <laughs> it just it I, it kind of. It kind of bored me a little bit. I have to admit, I, I wasn't really entertained by anything. Ooh, okay. And I, I don't know if Black Mirror needs to be entertaining. It's thought-provoking, and it's definitely, I mean, I, 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 I like the intellectual stimulation. I like the themes and the ideas. I don't know if I was entertained by anything. Oh, see, I was, because I saw the first episode, and then I jumped ahead to Hated in the Nation, because you were already ahead of me, and I thought... All right, maybe we'll watch the last episode tonight. We can talk about it at school. And then I watched San Junipero. And yeah. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> okay. The last three episodes, I'm like, eh, meh, whatever. So if They're you fine. To, if you were to rank these, what would you put at the top? San Junipero, Hated in the Nation, and then Nosedive. And those were Th- those, those were my actually three. my bottom three. Wow. <laughs> Your complete opposite. The complete opposite of you. I, be- I wonder if we were to do these six episodes, if they would be completely inverse. To each other. Because my top one was Shut Up and Dance. That was my favorite episode. Not that I liked the episode, yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. I liked the ideas of it. And I'm wondering if that was your least favorite. No, Men Against Fire, I think, was my All right, least. San Junipero was way down at the bottom of the okay, list. Okay, but I mean, yeah, we, we're, we are mirrors. For, or no, we're... We're black mirrors. Yeah, for each other. <laughs> uh, really quickly, I wanted to, like, if we were to give out Blackie Awards... We need a different name. You think that. we need a different name? Than yeah, right. that that might be a problematic name. All right, we'll call it the Reflecties. All right, I like that better. All right, who's your best actor? Oh, did Mac- you have a best actor? Or, or I, I had best Mackenzie actor, Davis. best supporting actor, Love best her. actress, oh, and best oh, act. Oh. So you didn't send them, you didn't separate them by a female male. No, I like Benedict Wong, but I always like that guy. Well, that's sort of a supporting actor. There are no small roles. There are only small actors. <laughs> My best actor was Wyatt Russell as Cooper in Playtest. I thought he was funny. Yeah, he was fun. I liked it. He's he's uh, Kurt Russell's son. Oh, okay. Yeah. I knew I'd seen him and somewhere. I think he was in 22 Jump Street. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah he's Brock or Brooke or He's kind of got like that him. Chris Pratt feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of thought it was like, um, oh, who's the guy from uh, the 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 motorcycle thing some guns of anarchy or sons of anarchy or oh yeah whoever those guys are he was also in pacific yeah yeah Uh, charlie something charlie hunnam yeah i thought it was him but he was in cold in july also okay my best supporting actor jerome flynn braun he plays uh braun in game of thrones Uh, yeah Yeah, he's hector the beleaguered uh you say prostitute aficionado (laughs) (laughs) and shut up and dance what you you call him local economy supporter? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was just his, his first transgression, but maybe not. My best actress uh, was Kelly McDonald in Hated in the Nation, just because yeah, I love sure. her. Yeah. But I only left half of that. So the forty five minutes that I watched of that, I, I thought she was good. That she also has some of the best lines. She has some of the funniest lines. Uh, there's one in, one scene where she walks up on Blue, and Blue is like looking at the video footage from the night before and she, she looks at her like, what are you doing? It's like, why are you sitting in my seat? That kind of a thing. I, I, I didn't know that she had that sort of, uh, character in her. So, 
Uh, my best supporting actress was Alice Eve from Nosedive, just because she plays that role of Naomi so perfectly. She's the girl that uh, has the wedding mm-hmm. that uh, she's going to go to. That uh, the oh, what's her name from from Bryce Dallas Howard? Yeah, that from she's going to World. She was Carol Marcus in Star Trek in the Darkness. And she's going to be in a new Keanu Reeves movie called Replicas, where he tries to create uh, virtual images or uh, robotic recreations of dead family members. Also starring Laugh Podcast fave Thomas Middleditch. Ooh, I'm So a movie with Keanu Reeves, Alice Eve, and Thomas Middleditch. You've heard it it first here on the Laugh Podcast. I'm looking forward to that one. And then we already talked about our episodes of the year. My mind was shut up and dance just because I think it could happen right now and it's very evocative. There's not a whole lot of exposition in the in the thing. They just it sort of fits together as a puzzle. Although I've heard a lot of people say how horrible this this episode was. <laughs> so maybe you just have to have a dark soul. Fair enough. Yeah, no. Uh, I'm looking forward to season four that comes out. I think they're trying to shoot for like April of 2017. Ooh, really? I know they're shooting for 2017, and I don't think we have too too long. Are they in some wait. sort of weird race with uh, Game of Thrones? Are they trying to steal Game of Thrones as thunder? I, I no, know, Game of Thrones is skipping their April release. They normally come out in April, but I think they're not coming out till next November. The oh, last that episode. Far, yeah. yeah. Uh, it could be. The nice thing is, since you don't have the same cast in each episode and you have different directors, you, you can do a lot of this filming concurrently. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's so true. they could pump these out. The biggest thing is, can you write stories quickly enough and that are inventive enough? Are there any stories that you want to see tackled in technology? Because oh, self-driving cars. Okay, the like hidden the, implications of that. The the um the morality of choosing to take out the busload of babies instead yeah, of the busload yeah. of old people. Yeah, there's a lot of weird morality if your car decides to crash itself huh. to save the greater good. Yeah, I think that they need to go back and visit uh, the effects of 3D movies. Oh, you want a 3D episode? I'd love a 3D episode. No, why? Why was it so horrible? And why is it so non-existent now? No. Yeah, this has got me real excited to go watch Westworld. I still need to catch up with that show. I've heard good things about it. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. All right. uh, but that's just me. I, I like Black Mirror a lot better than Westworld. And I also like the how you can pick and choose your episodes. You can curate a few episodes for your favorite people out there. Right. And let them know what they should do. And then have them listen to the, La- listen to the Laugh Podcast and let us know what you think or they think you can have them let us know what you think by emailing us at the left podcast at gmail.com you can tweet us at the left podcast or we're available on facebook.com slash the left podcast just send us a message uh we'll be happy to read some of your thoughts on black mirror season three on a future episode so send them in yay so for mr uh bull over there it's been a pleasure i'm the l l train fox at bottom everybody there be dragons Are you going to the movies this weekend? Let Laugh know what you saw. Send in your review by emailing the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at the Laugh Podcast, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash the Laugh Podcast. The best comments will get read on a future show. 